and this is pretty significant turning point in my mindset where, you know, when I got injured in high school and a few of the other injuries, it was more victim. Like the thing I found that I love again. So I was like two years into CrossFit is being taken away again. Well, I remember we were in the gym one time and this was just testament to the type of people that do CrossFit. It's, I don't even know what we were doing. And I was complaining about something. He's like, Oh, <laughs> it's just funny to think about now. He's like, why don't you just focus on what you can do? And I was like, I mean, you're not wrong, you know, and, and I started doing that. I'm like, okay, what can I do to get ready for these surgeries? And that turning point is what I started to use whenever I, these surgeries would pop up. And so I trained, so it was six months away. Yeah. So I trained for six months for my hip replacements. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. This episode is one of a series of pursuing health stories. Here, I feature the inspiring stories of regular, everyday people who've used lifestyle to overcome some incredible health challenges. But before I dive in, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. Hey guys, in this week's story episode, I sit down with Corey Schmidgall, who has used fitness, nutrition, and mindset to overcome numerous health challenges, including multiple spinal surgeries, two hip replacements, melanoma, and anxiety. In this episode, we talk about how he first struggled to find identity and meaning after his football career was over, how he learned to use fitness and nutrition as prehab and rehab tools, and how facing so many challenges has helped him to develop skills to manage his own panic attacks and anxiety. I was excited to catch up with him to learn more about how identifying his why has been so critical in growing through these obstacles and how he's now using his own experiences to help others. So with that, let's get started with the episode. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I am really excited to be here today with Corey Schmidgall, who we have featured on the blog before, but today we're going to get to dive in a little bit deeper into his story. So thank you so much for taking the time and joining me and being willing to share your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. It should be, uh, should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I know a lot of your story starts with your background in sports. So you were very involved in sports growing up and then in college. So can you talk a little bit about how sports played a role in your life? Yep. Yeah, I played, you know, I was blessed with the wonderful physical ability and, and uh, started playing basketball in first grade. And that was kind of the epitus for, I played all through high school and was able to play in college as well. Um, also played football and was fortunate enough to be good enough to play in college as well with that. And so I played two years of both in college um, as well as track. And so those are the three main sports that I played. Um, after college, I was lucky enough to um, try out for a few years. And then uh, similar to someone else I know, an injury kind of cut my professional <laughs> career short. Yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, obviously you're playing, I mean, two college sports, you're playing sports your whole life growing up. What role did injuries play as you were going along? Because I know we'll get later into the story about um, some of the surgeries that you had later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first major injury was my last uh, football game in my senior year. Um, we were like in the section championships and it was in the first quarter. Um, I got rolled up on and dislocated my ankle and um, 
a constant theme of my mindset throughout the, a lot of these injuries was a victim mentality. And so in my mind, I had labeled that as, you know, my football career was ended and was taken from me. Um, but that was kind of the first major injury um, that ended up coming back to being I had a complete lateral, what do they call it? Lateral reconstruction of my right ankle. Um, it, it just, the ligaments were, were down, the tendons were done. And so they reattached three of the lateral ligaments. Okay. Yeah, it is interesting. I think especially the first big injury or in high school, for me, I, I had that experience my junior year of high school. I was in gymnastics growing up and I broke my foot and it basically took me out of the entire season. And for me, that felt like the end of the world because that wasn't yeah. the world at that point because you're just, you know, you're so young and you just don't really can't see the big picture. Um, mm -hmm. But it's so true that you're sort of your mental state can have such an impact. So yep. in my situation, I, I'm really lucky that I, I think I was just like something we were learning about in school and then a few different mentors or people around me that helped me sort of turn that into a positive and see how mm -hmm. I make that season positive for the rest of my teammates. And I think that's what allowed me to, to then respond to subsequent injuries like my Achilles injury in a more positive way. Right. Yep. And and for me, like looking back now, I know it was kind of like a preamble to what was to come. Um, and it, it only, I was only out for maybe two or three weeks of my senior basketball season. So, you know, it, it ended up having to be repaired, but at that time it wasn't as big of a deal, um, for me as it could have been. Um, but I was just, you know, as a kid, I was, I was going to college to play football and my last game was cut short by an injury and I was just all kinds of mad. And I remember like one of the, the, the best moments, um, with my dad was after that game, I, I stayed on the field and I didn't want to leave. And he came down and we had, you know, we tried it out and got through it. But uh, yeah, it was just one of the first of many injuries in my life. Oh, for sure. So then did you have a lot of injuries going through your college career as well? Yeah. And, and I actually had to write them all down. <laughs> but, uh, just the um, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The main one in college was, you know, I had my, in my red shirt freshman year. So the second year, um, I started to have some ankle injury or in ankle problems. I kept rolling it. Um, I'd cut and I'd just fall over and I was like, I got to get checked out. And so that's when I had in like 98, which is obviously going to date me, but um, that was the first one. And then I also, I broke my hand. Um, I caught a football and turned and my pinky went in a guy's face mask and broke a part of my, um, part of my hand. And the whole season it wouldn't heal so they ended up having to take the piece of bone out and then they put a pin, pin in my pinky i don't know if you can see it, it's all messed up but um so <laughs> that was the other major one in college that uh that really kind of changed things for me and so when i had my ankle done i shifted from playing both sports to just football and um i played one year at receiver which is when i did my hand after that i had a lot of grip problems and then i just went to punting kicking off and and um field goals. Okay. And that's where I had the opportunity to play, um, to try to, to make it in the NFL. So, okay. Yeah. So then talk about that. I mean, after college is always kind of a, a weird transitional time for everyone, but mm -hmm. decided to pursue the NFL right after college. Um, so can you, and I think you had a couple other things that happened during that time that were difficult. Yeah, actually I'm looking at my timeline here to make sure I don't miss anything. <laughs> But yeah, so um, after school, I was looking at grad school. Um, I was actually going to go to physical therapy school um, or to become a radiologist. Those were like my two main things. Um, I got a phone call from 
um, an agent that was like, Hey, you know, I think we, we could get you to, to the league, you know, let's meet. And so I met with them and it's kind of funny as at the time, it's just such a, a terrible decision. They wanted me to go play in Canada, okay. which it probably would have been a fun time yeah. you know, and, and, and have been a, a precursor to, you know, a, the next level up. But in my mind, I'm like, no way, I don't know what Canada, <laughs> you know, a small town kid had no idea what was going on in Canada, but, um, that was kind of like the eye opener for me. Like, okay, maybe if I find a kicking coach and I actually, you know, just found one online and, um, he's out in Modesto, California. And, um, I ended up moving out there, um, soon after I had saved enough money to do so, which is crazy. I, I was 21 and I just drove my four door grand prix through Colorado or Colorado out to Modesto and slept on his couch for a year. Wow. So. That's taking a big chance. Yep. And so like, for, for specialty positions, the tryouts are a little bit different than you would see at like the combine. Some of the higher level people will get invited to combine, but this is like you're on a high school football field or like a community college football field. Um, the coaches have their clipboards and they're like, you know, for me to like the wall away with their clipboard, just staring right at you. So it's intense. Um, and I did that probably four or five times. So and there's, there's obviously conversations that go on behind the scenes after the tryouts and, you know, you kind of get back and forth. And in that time period, and, and you'll appreciate this one, um, I was I was taking a shower and I had a little bit of a cough that my allergies were bad out in California and whatnot. It's in, it's in Northern California by Modesto. And I was coughing and all of a sudden I was like, oh man, you know, I was like, oh man, I'm having a heart attack. And it felt like a heart attack. And so I got rushed to the ER and this was the first time I had ever had a panic attack and what it actually was, it was, um, costochondritis. And so the, in, it's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. I, the way I understand it, it's the inflammation of the lining of your rib cage. It started to compress on my heart, which simulated a heart attack. So that's what, you know, obviously I had some other stuff going on with my neck that I didn't know about, but that was the epitome to being like, maybe I need to go back home and get healthy. Um, within that time period as well, I was starting to have some neurological symptoms where I wasn't able to put the football where I wanted it to be okay. and I would just drop it. And so, yeah, I'll just keep going on that line. Yeah, yeah. Um, on my drive out there is when I found out that my older brother had um, been diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer. And oh. so I was in Colorado and I'll never forget this is I, I was going to turn around and come home. Well, my parents were smart enough to have my brother there because they kind of figured I was going to do that. And he got on the phone. He's like, no, I'll, I'll be okay. I'm going to beat this. You, you just keep going, you know, chasing your dream. And so that kind of health stuff, you know, I lost my grandma and my aunt both to cancer. It was in my brain. And um, when this happened with my heart, it immediately went to that. And so I was probably at a, a little bit of an anxiety tipping point when that happened, but also with the neurological thing. I, I did the um, cardinal sin of someone with anxiety is self-diagnosing. Yeah. And of course it, it was a brain cancer. So <laughs> a brain tumor. Yeah. So you're, so then you started to have all these symptoms. You had the costochondritis starting to feel mm -hmm. that you had your first panic attack. You're mm -hmm. feeling like you're, you know, you're having some weakness in your hand. And so is that sort of, it all kind of built up and that's what led you to then move back home. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I moved back home. Um, and I started getting all these diagnosis, diagnostic tests. Um, and what ended up happening is I just became a hypochondriac and, 
um, it just kind of kept snowballing and snowballing into this, um, where I just wouldn't leave my house. I just, I, you know, and you, you're not going to find, um, when you're in that situation looking for answers, you're not going to find great information online if you go digging for it. And, um, I would have MRIs and CT scans and x-rays and some people would thought it were this, and then we'll give you injections that'll help. And, you know, I've, I've probably had uh, close to 20 injections in various places in my body. That's probably not good, but, um, you know, we tried cortisone. Um, I've even tried, um, Botox just for at some of the trigger points that were, were really bad. And, um, it ended up being nothing. And so I was, I was left with this unanswered question of what it was. And so that was, I think not knowing was, was probably the worst part of all that, the mental health issues. Yeah. And at this point, had you then retired from football or were you still pursuing the NFL for a while from home? Um, I think, I think I moved back and I actually had an opportunity to go to Germany. Um, but like, so the costochondritis was on this side. My next stuff is on this side and it had kind of migrated over into my collarbone here. And so we wanted to make sure that it wasn't, you know, something pretty significant before moving to, to, to Germany. Um, and I, I think mentally I just wasn't ready to pursue it again. Um, and the, the fear just, you know, crept in like a, like a dark passenger and it was just always there. And so I was like, I just got to be done until I get my mind right. Which is, it's something that was weird for me because I was, I would, you know, described as fearless in high school, like playing sports. It was like where I had my confidence, you know, after a few stints in therapy, I understand why, um, I grew up with ADD. Um, and, and for me, sports is where everything slowed down and I could kind of just, it was like, like the flow state. It was just like, things are like this and I could just navigate life. And so once that was taken, taken from me, um, I was left with uh, an identity crisis not trying to you know, spent a lot of years trying to figure out who that person was away from something that was so organized and like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people when they retire from sports, whether it's at the end of high school or college or professional career, it can be a huge identity crisis mm-hmm. because it is such a, you know, for you, it was obviously such a huge part of your life. Right. So talk us through sort of what you've, what that process has been like for you of, kind of uncovering the pieces and figuring out who you are and what this next phase of your life looks like. Yeah. And, and it is actually thinking about like your situation with, with your Achilles. It's like, well, she, she was working on her, you know, her, what do you want? We call it doctorate. No, yeah, doctorate. I was, um, in med school at the time. Yeah. Med school. Yeah. But anyways, like I had not looked at any of those other buckets. And so I was always, I'm like a little old school. It's like, you have to be all in on your one dream to make it successful. Well, I know now that you can still fill other buckets while you're working on that other stuff. And so what I tried to do after I had kind of gotten to a point where things were a little bit manageable, I was still having panic attacks. And I tried to assume all these different hats. And one of which was a kickboxing okay. of all things, which people that know me now think it's hilarious because it's I'm I'm more like Sam Dancer than than a fighter. So <laughs> it was just hilarious to think about. But I uh, I I started doing Boxing. Like after, you know, high school, I finished sports in high school and I didn't know what I was going to do in college. So I started going to kickboxing classes. And then when I got to college, there was a boxing club. So I'm like, okay, this sounds fun. So I joined in the first couple sessions we did, you know, punch the bag. And I'm like, this is fine. Then I get there on the third session and they're like, okay, now I have to fight a person. And <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, and, and you can see my nose is crooked. Um, I got to the point where like when I, when I go after skill development, it's like, I want to be really good at it. And so I got, I was an instructor, which fit much better and kind of a natural, you know, coaching role for me. Well, I, we would have some of the UFC guys come cause I was in, in Iowa where, you know, Militich was at, and there were some of the younger guys, they were so fast. Like you get smacked in the face before you even knew what was going on. And I'll never forget it. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably done with kickboxing after the last time I broke my nose. I'm like, this is probably not for me. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you did some, um, got some experience with kickboxing. Mm -hmm. And I like that because it's, it's something that I figured out about myself is I like that skill development, which is why CrossFit was such a good fit. Um, which is why I, you know, kind of navigated towards punting and kicking. It's a skill. Um, and so I went away from that and then, um, beach body and P90X popped up, yeah. which that for me, that was quickly like, ah, this is very, you know, cyclical. Like it's, it got a little monotonous. And so, um, I quit doing that. And then I tried to get back into rec league basketball, which it was, it went pretty good. Um, but I, I kept trying all these different things to try to figure out an identity. And I got around uh, my chiropractor, actually, her name is Dr. Angie Cross. She, she's actually moved out to Arizona now, but she was the one that introduced me to personal development. Um, I had no, I, and I, at 35, I'd only read, read like five books in my life, like this way. Well, you know, there are audio books. And so I had to figure out one way that worked. And uh, so I started getting around some people like that. And that kind of was the, the epitus to, to really start healing. Um, what were some of the books that you read early on that had a big impact on you? Uh, Jim Rohn, Les Brown, Zig Ziglar, you know, Tony Robbins, the kind of the standard um, positivity. And I uh, like when you're in a bad space with mental health, you don't want to hear that. I'm like, whatever, I'll just, I'll play it in my car when I'm driving and just so jaded and like crabby. <laughs> it was, it's hilarious now because it's just like, it was good for you. Um, but yeah, those kind of books. And then um, I, I started, I'm trying to figure out what the, oh, okay. So right around that time is when my the neuro, neurology, not neurology, my neurological symptoms got really bad. Okay. I'd reach up on my desk to grab my mouse and I would hit it off my desk and I'd get coffee and I'd walk back to my desk and I would I'd drop my coffee cup. And so um, being so scared, I didn't want to go get any more diagnostic tests. Like I might, it's, I didn't want to know what I thought the problem was. And so um, luckily my mom is stubborn and she convinced me to go see a, a neurosurgeon um, that worked with the guy that had done my dad's hip replacements. And so we went over there and um, I think I was, 35. Yeah. So I got, I got to check the dates. I'm terrible. Yeah, 2013. So, um, just nervous. And, and he was like, cause I'm claustrophobic. That's one of the main triggers of, of my anxiety, which it's, it's fine now, but at the time, like sticking me in an MRI tube, like it was, I would sweat and they'd have to like wipe me off. And he's yeah. like, well, we can, we can give you a sedative or put you under. I'm like, put me under. <laughs> and so, um, we did a couple MRIs. Um, he had some, he had found a couple of spots and he said spots, unfortunately, um, which is not great for some with anxiety, but he's like, I want to do, and you might know what this is. He had to do some nerve conduction testing or something like that. Yeah, that's what it's called, nerve conduction study. Yeah. And so I did one of those and he's like, you have a blockage and I want to do, um, he did some kind of x-ray that he found 
that on my C6 vertebrae, it had broken, been broken. Well, he called me in. He's like, um, I got the results. Uh, can you come in? I'm like, no. <laughs> can you just tell me? And uh, um, I remember pacing in, in, in his room, in the exam room. He walked in with an assistant. What's that? In the worst possible situation at that point. Exactly. Yeah, I'm like, here we go. I knew it was a brain tumor. I put money on it. And so I was pacing around and he came walking into his assistant. I'm like, oh, he's got an assistant. Yes, he's definitely. And so he's like, he probably wants to sit down. I'm like, okay, here we go. And uh, he's like, you ever broke your neck? I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I was like not expecting that at all. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you know, like you, you have a, a broken C6 vertebrae. And so he's like, do you ever break your neck in football? Or do you ever remember a bad in neck injury or anything like that? And I'm like, well, no. And I'm like, oh, I know what it was. It was, I was 18, um, not a big drinker at the time, and I had had a few drinks. We were at a party at a cabin, and I was sitting up on the deck. We had one of those walkout basements, and I was up on the railing with my back to behind me. Okay. Um, yeah, and this is this is one that's really out of character for me because I, I was picked on as a kid. Um, I was bullied, and, and so that's kind of what brought me into the, the kindness uh, scope, uh, similar to Sam, you know. Um, there was a guy that was putting a fire together and I didn't, don't remember his name, but he had like a, a girl's name. And so I was teasing him. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't know he had a crazy older brother that went, oh. pushed me off backwards and I landed on my head. Wow. And so what it was is like, you know, you have your, um, I had a uh, foraminal stenosis of my transverse process, okay. which is surprising that I remember that. Yeah, that's but what happened. Impressed. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a lot of <laughs> medical stuff, but it, it broke and it healed. And then it grew like a little bone spur into the nerve. Um, come to find out that there's actually some bone fragments in the nerve too embedded. So that was the first major, um, yeah, I had a feet, uh, C five to six fusion. Okay. And, and what so from like finally finding out what was causing your symptoms after so long. That's what I was going to say is that that was, um, as such a roller coaster of emotions, but I walked out of there kind of feeling lighter. You know, it's like I knew, so, I mean, and that's kind of why you have to be your own, you know, health um, advocate is that if you know something's wrong with your body, make sure that you get it checked out. Don't just sit and stew. And I stewed for way too long. Um, and I, I didn't fight for myself, but I felt lighter and I'm like, and it was just kind of the convergence of the personal development and that, finally having an answer that things kind of started to pick up a little bit and, and they started to get a little bit better. And then it was through that neck surgery injury that you ended up finding CrossFit, correct? Yep. And so Miranda Oldroyd, uh, Elkrez now, um, I, I was like, I, ain't, I don't want to do kickboxing. I'm tired of working out in my garage. Um, and so I, I Googled broken neck exercise or like fitness or something like that. Her story popped up. I'm like, wow. I'm going to try that. I don't know what it is. Um, and I, uh, it was July 7th of 2013 and the workout was Elizabeth 21:15:9 of squat cleans and dips. I'm like, I can do that. I can do dips all day. Yeah. And I uh, went to the rec center with the metal weights grunt and groaned. And 21 minutes later, <laughs> I was laying on the ground. Like what the heck just happened? <laughs> You know, getting stared at by everybody in the rec center. Like, who's this giant dude that's throwing weight around? And, like, it was probably not very pretty to watch. But 
I'm like, I'm in. Such a good classic first CrossFit. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And so I did it at the rec center for about three months. And then I found a gym in town and started going there. Couldn't do a pull up, which was embarrassing. Um, But yeah, just it progressed into, you know, getting around the right people. And, um, you know, between my personal development, but also being around the right people is probably what helped the most in getting through the next significant (laughs) part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. So talk next about what, what happened next. Cause I know you had a couple more surgeries and a couple more obstacles that came your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, we were working on mobility and, you know, um, a chiropractor was there and, and they were like, man, you're like really tight. I'm like, yeah, okay. I know I'm a football player. <laughs> That's what we do. Um, but like I was trying to work on my mobility and I wasn't getting anywhere. Um, and I remember there was a couple nights after doing high volume squatting, like wall balls or thrusters or whatever, I woke up just sweating, felt feeling like I was on fire. I'm like, there's something up. And it was always, I mean, it was different than like the stuff up here. It was just always localized in my, my lower body. Um, our family has a history of osteoarthritis in the hips. You know, my dad said two, my grandpa had both of his, I got a couple aunts that each have one. My mom just had one. <laughs> so yeah, too, right? Yeah, I was 37. Yeah. yeah. So. so I got a baseline and, and, funny story is he, they left the door open after I had my x-rays and I could hear him, you know, the, the, the hair nets for your shoes, yeah. whatever those are called. I could hear him kind of skidding across the ground and uh, he comes over, he goes, Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy. And I'm like, it's always good. <laughs> is that my, is he talking about me? And I know the guy cause he did both my dad's hips and I was there when um, they told us how he was doing all this stuff. And he's like, well, we could do them now or six months from now. He goes, but we'll probably do it six months because we have to get some injections. I'm like, all right, great. So I'm like, well, there, there goes my life <laughs> in my mind, you know. Hip replacements at age 37. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, say that's pretty, pretty rough. And what? Yeah, take us through what thoughts first went through your mind, and then how you were able to kind of process that, turn it into sort of a, a positive or a be able to get through that obstacle in a in a healthy way. Yep. And this is pretty significant turning point in my mindset where, you know, when I got injured in high school and a few of the other injuries, it was more victim. Like, like the thing I found that I love again. So I was like two years into CrossFit, um, is being taken away again. Well, I remember we were in the gym one time and this was just testament to the type of people that do CrossFit. It's, it's, I I don't even know what we were doing. And I was complaining about something. He's like, Oh, It's just funny to think about now. He's like, why don't you just focus on what you can do? Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh. I mean, you're not wrong, you know? And, and I started doing that. I'm like, okay, what can I do to get ready for these surgeries? And that turning point is what I started to use whenever I, these surgeries would pop up. Um, and so I trained, so it was six months away. Yeah. So I trained for six months for my hip replacements. Um, I had one in September and then I had, I scheduled them both at the same time, luckily, um, because I don't do well with pain meds, um, you know, whether it's, um, allergic reaction or you get too dependent on them. Um, I have, I get like probably hives or something like that. There's a, I get a skin rash after I come off them. Um, and so I knew going in that it was probably going to be some significant pain. You know, anytime you get bone pain and, and that kind of thing, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. So September, November, uh, 10 weeks away, I was in pretty good shape to do it. Probably the youngest person in there by 20 years <laughs> after surgery. Um, but, um, I think, 
I think one thing that's important to share is that when you have a history of mental health issues, you have to kind of be on the lookout um, for potential setbacks. Not necessarily the life events, but mentally going into things. I was at a decent place going in for my hips, but I, I did not. There's a whole different level of pain in life that I was not aware of. You probably know because you probably worked with some people in that kind of pain. Um, but I remember one night it was especially bad after my first one. And I, I, I had my wife, you know, my wonderful wife, Lauren, and um, she got me into the shower and I remember just in an ice cold shower, just sobbing because it was so bad. And I, I mean, I'm a softie anyways. I got a daughter and, and a son that made me cry all the time. <laughs> but um, like, this was just something different. Like it was just primal. And it, and it could have been like a release of all this buildup of stuff that I had over the years. But um, I remember getting back into my bed and thinking, if I don't wake up tomorrow, I'm okay. And it was just like, I start crying about it, but you know you got two kids you got you got a, a wonderful wife you got wonderful parents and that's not you and it gave me like a flash of lightning like oh so you have a why now because everybody talked about that and i'm like i don't have one which is just that's stupid but like i didn't realize what it was at the time yeah and that made it come to light and it it just it like a bolt of lightning it's like Oh yeah. Roger that we're, we're going full speed ahead. And so from that day on, I, I started researching breath work. You know, there's a reason why women back in the day, the Lamaze or Lamazda as my son calls it. Um, and so I started researching breath work and, um, ice baths and what can you do became the theme. Like what's the next step. And I talked about that in, in the blog post is like that kind of became my, my marching cadence and my, my mantra is like, what's the next step? And so I think mentally going into the second one, I was in a better spot because I had a reason why. And, um, I told my wife, I wasn't going to cry, but um, <laughs> <laughs> the only problem with the second one is I got a little sick from the anesthesia. And so I had to, I, I got up a lot faster than the first time to uh, take care of that. But, um, what those surgeries also forced me to do was work on the part of my life that I had not worked on, which was mindset. And that time was also when I started just sharing with other people what I had done to learn to manage my anxiety. And it wasn't like a formal thing. It's like, I didn't seek people out. It was just kind of behind the scenes. Like, Hey, let's try these things. And you know, today now I, I, you know, I have a podcast that, has helped hundreds and hundreds of people that sometimes I get done recording. I'm like, <laughs> what do you like? You used to be in your apartment by yourself, not even be able to leave. But I also tell people, it's like, I remember one night it was really, really bad. And I was like, if, if I can ever figure out how to manage this, I'm going to help as many people as possible because I don't want them to feel like I'm feeling right now. So. That's amazing. And amazing how, you know, obviously uh, a moment that you just described of uh, like a very scary moment in a time of deep pain, but how mm -hmm. that from that your why became so clear and it seemed mm -hmm. to put you on such a great trajectory only, you know, to have your why and to be there for your family, but also to be able to help so many other people through your own experience. Right. Yeah. And, and for me, it was for many years, it was like, I'm doing this for my family. 
Um, and, and up until recently, I've been working, you know, uh, Granite Games, mm-hmm. Jess Swanson and John Swanson. Yeah. They're, they're the creators of Granite Games. Well, Jess was my coach here for like 90 days. We did a little nutrition coaching and mindset coaching and you always got to level up, you know, when, when you're doing well. Yeah. And she was the one that was like, what happens if you don't take care of your mind first or your own wellness first? What happens to your family? And so I was like, light bulb, you know, you got to take care of yourself first for the rest of that stuff to be good. And so like each of these setbacks have kind of, it's like, you know, like a ramp up to where I am today. Um, yeah, <laughs> kind of going off on a tangent there. <laughs> I love that. It's so true. It's put that oxygen max on yourself first before you can help other people. Yep. And in uh, between there, I also had sports hernia. Oh, okay. <laughs> Throw another surgery out there, you know? Yeah, that's, I just, I saw that on there. That was, that was right. Um, I think that was four months after I had my hip surgery. It was, it was probably a remnant from an old football injury or something. That I, but yeah, I had that. And then you had a couple other surgeries then after the hip, you still had the um, skin cancer mm-hmm. removed and then you had another neck surgery. So yep. even- yeah. So in between the hernia and my skin cancer, my wife was diagnosed with cer- cervical cancer. Oh, wow. And so that was yet another setback. And the thing that, that sticks out, for, well, among other things, but she had type 1A or A1. So it was very early. Um, she had a, a pretty um, careful OBG. Like he's like, oh, I see the spot. I'm going to sample it. And luckily he did. So she just had a minimal uh, conization, I think it's called. And uh, that was taken care of. But what happened was her her surgical um, wound opened. And so she started to, to bleed. Excuse me. And they couldn't get it under control. And we lived an hour and a half from where oh, wow. um, she had surgery. And so they, I had to throw my kids and her in the car and we made it 90 miles in 60 minutes, wow. <laughs> which is, it's funny now, but like she was turning gray and it just was not a good situation. But what I remember the most is how we handled that. And, and what I tell people when I tell that story is that that's why I do a morning routine to work on my mindset every day is for situations like that. Like I could have been, you know, I could have crashed the car and died, but I was just a fixed point. Like this is what we need to get done right now. And this is what we need to do to get mom taken care of. For me, it was scary as hell, but like, it's like, you know, you do it the debrief afterwards. You're like, look how we handled that. Like that wouldn't happen if we wouldn't do all that work on a daily basis. So intense, but, um, so that was January that that happened for her in June. Um, I went and got my, my one mole. I don't have a lot of them, but there's one on my leg that I was like, that just, it doesn't look right. Check your moles people, please. Um, so I got the biopsy. They just cut it out and sent it in. And a week later I was on the operating table getting a mass excision on my, got my shark bite now on the inside of my thigh. <laughs> <laughs> you probably have lots of great scars with stories to go with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so it was just shallow spreading melanoma early stage. So they, you know, the margins were clear. Um, I had a little bit of problem. They did a, a T incision. And so like the center of the T kind of opened up and I had to have a drain, which if you've never had a surgical drain, I hope you never have to because they're, yeah, they're maddening. Oh. And so after that, um, I think we were good for a few years. Um, and then I, they were watching my six to seven vertebrae um, when they did my, my first one, cause it had a little bit of an injury too from, from um, 
from the break. And then I started like, that was like that. It came on quick. It felt like I was, somebody took a screwdriver and stuck it into my shoulder and then it went into my forearm and then my thumb. I'm like, yeah, I got to get that fixed. And so that was a year later after cancer. So. So you've definitely had a <laughs> action packed few years. It's crazy to think about, but like I said, it's, it's kind of brought me to a place where, um, in the worst of times I found some peace, which I didn't have after sports were done. And it brought me to the point. And it, like I said, it forced me to work on the one thing that I hadn't worked on. I mean, working on your physical bodies can be pretty easy compared to oh yeah, the darkness that can line your brain. But a lot of people don't want to work on that because that's, that's the scary stuff in life. Right. It's uncomfortable. It's hard. Mm-hmm. What if, so throughout all these surgeries, you talk about how CrossFit has been helpful for you. You talk about a lot about the personal development. Um, what have been the things that have allowed you to move so smoothly through these obstacles and grow from them rather than be debilitated by them? Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't, having support. Um, you know, I, I, my mom was a social worker. Um, my dad is a, is a wonderful human as well. Worked really hard his whole life, but, um, having an open and honest communication with them, um, you know, my wife, and I'm not going to go too far into that because I don't want to cry again on here, but <laughs> you know, she's, she's been through all of this with me and she's seen it all. Like she's seen the ugliness of, of where I've been and no judgment. Like, you know, I had that, that just unconditional love from her. And, you know, again, looking at, at my kids of like, that's why, like, I need to be that lighthouse in the storm that they see. Yeah. Dad's been going through some stuff, but look how he's overcome that. Um, but as far as the mindset for me, um, the one that actually kind of brought it back to like, okay, that's what you were doing was, um, Kalipa, you know, AMRAP mentality, like focus on the one thing at a time as much as possible and then move on to the next. I didn't know what it was called until I read his book. I'm like, oh yeah, (laughs) that's, that's kind of, I just stole that from CrossFit and like started doing that in my personal life. Yeah, that's true. There's so many things you can apply from CrossFit to Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. And then I just can say the, the one other thing was helping other people, um, you know, and, and it started a, a really strong gratitude practice of how far I had come when you start, you start working with somebody that is where you used to be. Um, that really brought home um, what the work was for um, is to be able to help other people and pay it forward. And so that was really solidified my ability to get through it. That's amazing. So talk a little bit about the work that you do with other people. I know you are a CrossFit, you're a level two, mm-hmm. you also do some anxiety and nutrition coaching. So what does that look like when you're helping other people? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the L2 stuff is we're obviously closed down right now. Um, but I, you know, coach class. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, I'm, I'm an online anxiety coach and, and, you know, those kind of people live in the shadows. And so it's kind of developed through word of mouth. Um, I'm, I can really tell when people have it. I've just been always been able to read people. And so I can, I'll, I'll uh, if somebody comes to the gym that I can tell they're struggling a little bit, I'll be like, you can be okay. And so I, I mean, I, I suggest enough that I understand what they're going through that we kind of open the conversation and I don't ever push them, but it just kind of develops into this relationship where like, you know, I can, I can help you learn to manage this. And then, um, you know, we, we do either text or emails or, Sometimes it's just through social media. Um, a lot of people don't like doing phones um, when it comes to mental health. 
I, I prefer to do it so I can read people. Um, but again, you know, they, people with mental health issues tend to live in the shadows, which is unfortunate because, you know, once I stepped into light or was forced into light, okay. I, it, my, my speed of which I started to heal just cranked up, but I had to be forced into it, you know, with life events. Um, and then nutrition and lifestyle, like I focus on mindset, nutrition, movement recovery. And so um, that is just working with clients. Um, I would say similar to like what WAG does. Okay. Similar, but a little bit more. That's awesome. Um, what have been the most helpful strategies for you when it comes to managing anxiety? Mm-hmm. Well, as, as far as like, we'll just start like panic attacks um, for me is, is, jumping into cold exposure uh, your body like physiologically thinks it's going to go underwater and so it starts to decrease all of the because i would tune into my body like i'm like oh my god my heart's going to jump out of my chest um but getting into cold exposure was, was the main one for curbing my panic attacks but also um figuring out what my triggers were like um claustrophobia large crowds um and and most of them are claustrophobia base like the worst ones were going to the doctor <laughs> you know yeah, sorry yeah white white coat syndrome um uh mris flying and and those type of things um which i actually just went on a when we went to hawaii this last time i went on a whale tour which is a pretty huge step for me so <laughs> you know um breath work that's another one you know there's so like even before i got on here i knew i was going to be and, and i can't stop it and I don't try to. Um I have like the 90 second rule. It's like you get in 90 seconds and everything starts to kind of come back down. Um but I was doing some box breathing. Uh, I think it's Mark Divine that talks about that a lot. Um and then I do some Wim Hof breathing. Um but the most important thing is every morning I have a morning routine that I work on my mindset first. I read my values, I read my beliefs. Um and I it started out with I am statements, I am mantras. And so just taking that time to rather than just invest in my physical body, I'm investing time in my mental body and negative thoughts and comments takes, have so much weight because our natural state is joy. That negative, negative pull on you, it takes a lot to pull that back and get yourself back to, to normal. So you have to be proactive in doing that. And I didn't realize that until I got around the right people and, and the right situations with a lot of them were CrossFitters. So that's amazing. So with the morning routine, if for people listening, can you give any more specifics? So you're reading basically like mantras or statements, mm -hmm. anything else after that? Is that right when you get out of bed or how does it usually go? Yeah. So my morning routine right now is I get up and, and you know, go to the bathroom like most people, but I, I'll drink 20 ounces of water, get my body ready for hydration. Um, and then I'll go for a walk and while I'm walking, I'll, you know, listen to a podcast, which lately it's been pursuing health, <laughs> just get ready to be on here. Um, but then I'll also do like something positive and I've been doing just YouTube videos like Motiversity is a good one. Um, just to kind of get that going in my brain. Um, when I get back, I'll, I'll read, I have like a list of all this stuff that I did in therapy, which was, you know, what are my values? What are my skills? What is my personal expertise? And what do I believe? And then some of the I am statements, which is, um, it's a progressive step. So I am is like starting to reprogram your repetitive thoughts. 
eventually you say them over and over enough, they become a belief. And so once they come from the I am statements, they go to the belief statements. And so after that, then I'll jump in a cold shower and um, work on some breath work while I'm doing that. Right now it's been nasal breathing. I've been doing some list work on uh, the aerodyne. I tried to run the other day. Um, this is just a side note with my mouth taped. That was terrible. Have you ever tried that? Not running. No, I've tried. Oh my God. Control your pace when you're rowing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've done rowing and biking before. I'm like, oh, I'm because I've been trying to get better at running. You know, obviously, I had to relearn. I had to relearn how to walk, and now I'm like at the point where I'm like, I want to get better at running. So I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna work out today, so I'll just try to do this run. It was a bad idea. So, anyways, I've been doing a lot of nasal breathing, and um, what happens with anxiety is you under oxygenate yourself. Like you breathe up in your chest, and so for people with anxiety, what you want to do is just take your hand. And put it on your stomach and focus on your, your the rise and fall of your stomach. Get out of your chest because that just kind of tightens everything up. But get it into your stomach and let yourself get oxygenated enough. And so a lot of people don't like hearing, well, just breathe through it. Well, it's obviously more than just breathe, breath work that's going to help fix things. Um, but it's a big part of it. So, and that's mainly my, my morning routine now. Um, it used to be longer and it was more focused on the reprogramming of my mindset. But. Wow. Well, it sounds great. That's awesome. <laughs> um, all right. Well, as we start wrapping up, I have three questions, which I guess you probably know if you've been listening lately. <laughs> questions I ask everyone. So the first one is what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Mm-hmm. Working on mindset right away in the morning. Um, eat clean foods. Um, as someone with chronic pain, um, someone that's had stomach issues from pain medication, you know, single ingredient, um, low acidic food um, decreases inflammation. I'm a big uh, believer in healing yourself from the inside out, which I'm sure you believe too. <laughs> and then uh, work on recovery and then movement. So, you know, as a, as a master's athlete, I have to do a lot more recovery work than I do movement. You know, it's quality over quantity now, which I'm still trying to figure out. (laughs) The process. So I'd say those are the big, the big three. Do you have any favorite things that you do to help with recovery now? Ice baths. I'm kind of a broken record on that. Um, Cold therapy, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. It. I'm kind of weird that way. I got a, I got a trough and then I also have a freezer that I, I retrofitted a freezer that I, it's got a Christmas timer on it, Christmas light timer. And so it'll run overnight. So it stays at about between 40 and 50 degrees. And so I can just jump in there. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, but then also I do um, some Ramwad, um, lacrosse ball stuff and just work on some knots. I've tried to get into the East M stuff, but it really doesn't do much for me. Uh, I'm not sure why I'm probably not doing it right, but um, but yeah, just stretching, um, you know, m- range of motion mobility, um, but also listening to my body when I need to take a break. Um, I've been messing with the, the whoop stuff, which has been a game changer. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Listening to your body and that gives you a little bit more of an objective measure of how your recovery is doing. So mm-hmm. very cool. Is there anything that you are working on or something that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you are working on it or haven't implemented it yet? Yeah, I'm, I sleep. Um, that's something that I've been kind of studying now. Um, so if you got any recommendations on books, I've been um, reading some books on that and a little bit of supplementation like 5-HTP, uh, some GABA, magnesium. Um, I've tried a little melatonin. Um, doesn't do much for me, but um, just working on 
like an evening ritual routine cadence, um, taking some light out of the bedroom, um, changing temperatures. And so kind of playing with that, um, you know, since, since doing the, um, the whoop thing, I, I've found that I don't sleep very well. I don't have very good deep sleep. Yeah. It sheds a lot of, a lot of light on stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that sounds like you're doing a lot of great things already to help with sleep, but we just did actually, a a podcast on sleep and oh, cool. Let's check that out. Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep is, I think, one of the best out there lately. So, yeah, Why We Sleep. Okay, cool. I recommend that one. Um, last question is, what does a healthy life look like to you? Um, I, you know, a lot of people would say balance, um, but I think balance across the different areas of your life. Um, you know, our, like I said, you know, for my mindset, our natural state is joy, and doing whatever I can, you know, on the continuum. Obviously you're a red shirt, you know what that is, but like trying to inch your way over to joy every day, um, through your mindset, but also taking that same continuum through nutrition, through recovery and through movement. Um, and I think figuring out a way to, to fill those buckets on a daily basis is, is healthy, you know, love that. And trying to, trying to fill all of them, you know, balance all of them. But like you said, Mm -hmm. maybe in the past you had focused more on just the movement area or hadn't really, right. you know, focused so much on the mindset. And now it seems like you're really thriving in all of them. So trying to <laughs> a long ways to go, but yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, adversity has definitely pushed me in a, a better direction. I would say. Definitely. Well, I think in a lot of ways, life has a, has a tendency to, when we are ignoring certain things, it kind of puts them in our face so that we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hit you in the head with it. Yep. <laughs> that has definitely happened to me many times. thank you so much for sharing your story and i know already so many people have connected with your story Mm -hmm. going through your surgeries and recovering and arthritis i know is a common problem that a lot of other listeners have and are trying to work through but also being so open about the anxiety that you've experienced and how you're doing so much through your podcast and through your work with your clients to be able to help other people um be able to reach that joy on the continuum as well I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, where can people, so I know that the podcast is called Anxiety Wad. Yep. Um, where else can people find you or connect with you? Uh, just on Instagram, Facebook, it's Corey Schmidgel, just straight across. There's no E in Corey. And um, I'm sure you can find my name. I'm not going to spell well, it out. <laughs> do it in the show notes. So if people show notes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Both of them are just Corey Schmidgel. Um, and so like, if you got any questions or comments or, um, if you're struggling yourself, just, just, uh, contact me and we'll, we'll chat, see what we can do for you. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was great. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, I will recap my three biggest takeaways after the conversation. Number one was I really loved Corey's lesson from another member at his gym about focusing on what you can control and then how it led to his own personal mantra, what's the next step? This is so true. Life is not fair and we're all dealt different challenges, but focusing on what is within our control can help keep us moving forward. The second takeaway was about the importance of understanding your why. Corey talks about a very dark moment in his life that helped him to truly understand his why and now that he has such a deep connection to his why, it's become a driving force for everything he does. I've seen this play out in my own life and others, and I think it's a very important question that we all have to ask ourselves and check in with as we move through different phases of life. 
My third takeaway was about the importance of taking care of yourself first. If you're not functioning well or at your best, you definitely won't be able to show up as your best self to help others either. I love how Corey has focused on this himself, and now he's using his passions and what he's learned to give back and help others who may be in a similar situation. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and had some great takeaways too. 